Hi, welcome. It's great to see you all, smiling faces. Um, so my name's Phil, I'm part of the um, leadership team here at Jubilee. And we're in a series at the moment, um, The King and His Kingdom. I had to remind myself by looking at the screen. I should know, shouldn't I? But I had to remind myself. It's great, isn't it, you know, like to be um, part of the church. And just before, oh, before I go anywhere, I was supposed to do what Kudzi was supposed to do. Sorry, Kudzi. So if, if you're new to the church and um, you want to find out some more information, there should be a welcome card in the front pocket if you want to fill that in and put it in the red post box outside. And then also we've got Alpha coming up. So you, you'll find some of these outside. If you want to invite somebody to Alpha, or should I say, who were you inviting to Alpha? Who were you going to invite to Alpha? Because it's just amazing. How many people have been on the Alpha course in this room? I mean, like, come on. There's like a lot of people have been on the Alpha course. And um, it's brilliant, isn't it, when we see people come to faith and see people's lives change. I love, right, I absolutely love a fishy story, don't you? And um, this, is, this is one of um, Jesus' fishy stories. There's quite a lot of fishy stories in the Bible. And this is, this is one of them. This is probably one of the better ones because it's like, like two whole boats began to sink. I mean, what the what? It's like, can you imagine the amount of fish that they'd caught to make two boats sink? I once nearly got caught in a net, similar to the nets that they use, um, are used on um, Lake Gennesaret, which is also known as Lake Galilee. So I was swimming in Lake Malawi, and I'd, I jumped out of a boat um, quite a long way out by mistake, thinking I, thinking I was... David Wilkie, or one of, or Duncan, do you remember Duncan Goodyear with the bald head? I thought I was one of those guys, and obviously I wasn't, and I was like really struggling, and all of a sudden this thing hit me. I'm like, what's that? Oh, no, it's a shark. Obviously it wasn't a shark, I was in Lake Malawi. <laughs> but I'm like, I started to, started to panic a bit, you know, and flap around, and it was a, it was a fishing net. And um, the guys fish in Lake Malawi exactly the same way that the disciples um, do, uh, did back then and they, they basically let out a great big net and they, they, they row around in a great big circle and then they, they pull the net in on shore and, and, um, and then when they pull it on shore of course the fish is full of and uh, the net's full of uh, fish and full of scales well I got caught in one of these nets and, um, and it, it amazed me you know like to see the way that they were fishing on Lake Malawi was exactly the same way that the disciples were in, in this story here you know, that this is like, this is the context of this is that these guys were experienced um, fishermen. They weren't used to going out and getting nothing. They, they kind of like, they knew the lake really well and they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing and, and then Jesus turns up. Isn't that always the way? It's like, you know, nothing's happening, nothing's going on. You're in a bit of a pickle or a big pickle or you, you're going through stuff and then Jesus like turns up and, and things change and that's, that's what I love about Jesus. Jesus turns up and things change. The kingdom comes. The kingdom breaks in and things change. In the NIV, it says that this is the, uh, the calling of the first disciples. And we see here that um, um, it's the calling of Simon, um, Peter, and James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. But um, there's somebody missing from the story, isn't there? So there's, there's Andrew, who is the, the brother of Peter in in um, in one John thirty five forty two, it says this. The next day, John was again with his two disciples. This is John the Baptist. John was with his two disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "Look, the Lamb of God, 
And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And we don't really hear much about um, Andrew in the scriptures. There's not a great deal of like Andrew kind of stuff in the the New Testament, but Andrew did something really significant. He brought his brother, Peter, to Jesus. And so this encounter with Jesus um, by the boats, with, with uh, Peter and James and John, this was not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. And I think you can tell that by the way that he, he calls him master. He knows um, straight away who he is. He He's already had a, a... Can we turn down the echo a bit? Is that possible? We're trying, right? Okay. It must be my voice. It's the, it's the anointing. <laughs> but, yeah, I am a Dalek. I feel like Stavros. Um, some of you don't know who Stavros is. Sorry. <laughs> Forget it. Um, but, yeah, so... Where was I? So, so Andrew brings Peter and says, look, we've found. And so Andrew was the one in the family that had already run after John the Baptist. He was already interested in the things of God. And, and what he did was he brought Peter. You know, for some of us, right, we, we aspire to do great things. And, and sometimes, you know, all, all that we need to do is just bring that one person. You know, with Alpha, it's so easy to say, why don't you just come and see? Just come and see what... What, what Jesus is about. Why don't you, why don't you come along? And I, I just want to say to you like this morning that some of you, some of you are um, like Andrew, that you will just be called to that one person. But I believe that we're all called to somebody. And I'm going to, I'm going to pick that theme up a little bit later on. So the calling of the kingdom is what I'm speaking about today. And the calling of these disciples. And there's loads of interesting things um, that I could bring out of that, but I want to make three points today. And, the, and the, the, the three W's so that you can remember them. So we're called to worship. We're called into a worshiping relationship with God. We're called into a word relationship with God in that we, we're called to um, be in His word, be obeying His word, be living in His word. And we're called to the works of the kingdom. We're called to do the things that Jesus, we're, we're here to do the Jesus stuff. And um, if you're not, if you're thinking to yourself, well, that I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm too old, I'm too ill, or I'm too this, or I'm too that, or I'm, I'm too lazy, I don't know, whatever your two is, right? Then you're in the wrong church. You really are in the wrong church. You'd be better off going to car boot on a Sunday morning than coming. <laughs> because we are about the worship and the word and the works of the kingdom. I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to put you off, 
But, you know, the truth is, is that, you know, we're not here, right, for a bless me up party. We're here to extend the kingdom of God. We're called. Um, you did not choose me, says Jesus, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Just think about those words for a moment, how wonderful they are, that we are chosen. I'm chosen. You are. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you're chosen and you're special. <laughs> and, and you are. You are. You are chosen. You are chosen and you are special. The Gospel of Luke is really wonderful. It, um, we, we, we've, been, we've been talking about, you know, like the, what the gospel is about. And, and you know, the gospel of Luke, um, I, I studied um, the synoptic gospels and acts at, at Bible college. And um, Matthew was written for the, for the Jews and Mark was written for the Romans. But the, the, minute, the, sort of like the underlying theme of the gospel of Luke is that it's salvation for everyone, both Jew and Gentile. That it's like, an, it's like an, salvation is for all. It's, you know, the gospel is accessible for everybody. It doesn't matter where you've come from or, or what you're doing. You know, God just loves you. And so in this wonderful story about this fishy story of, of the disciples um, going out and catching a fish and then Jesus asking them to push the boat out from the shore and then Jesus doing a, a miracle, the result of that was what? It was that Simon falls at Jesus' knees. Notice he doesn't say Jesus' feet. I thought, that's a bit strange when, when I first read it. What do you mean he falls at his knees? What, did he like just like do a, a curtsy or a halfway drop? But of course it says in the scripture that he was, he was sat in the boat. Jesus was sat in the boat teaching the crowds a little bit from the shore. And, and when Peter saw what, what, what Jesus had done, of course he fell, he fell to where he was sitting and he fell at his knees. And it's a wonderful picture of um, Peter realizing and, and just understanding in that moment. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. That was the first time that, G that Peter worshipped Jesus. The first time that he had this realization. Jesus, you're, Jesus and your Lord... Go away from me. I can't, I can't, I can't be in your presence. Because now, now I've had a revelation of who you are. You can't possibly be interested in me. Some of you feel like that this morning. That Jesus poss couldn't possibly be interested in somebody like me. And the, and, and the truth is that you are so wrong. Because he loves you. And, and Peter has this beautiful revelation of the, of the beauty and the, the holiness and the, the majesty and the divinity of Jesus and he falls at him falls at his knees in worship and the, the calling that is on our lives as people is to be first and foremost worshippers of Jesus Christ giving him worth putting him always in that rightful place putting Jesus where he belongs, which is on the throne of our lives. Okay, now quite often people come to faith and then after a few weeks or a few days or whatever, they, they kick Jesus off the throne and get back on the, the throne themselves and make it all about them. It's all about me. It's all about me. That's not the calling of the kingdom. 
The calling of the kingdom is to lay down your life in worship. It's to be always lifting up Jesus. The whole mission of the church, as we see it in the, in the Lord's Prayer, is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. We're called as a church to lift up the Father in worship, to, to put him in his rightful place. And out of, out of that, everything flows. Why do we always start with worship, sung worship, and, and worshiping God with our money? Why do we start from that place? Because it's always first to him. It's about him. All things were created by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. That's where we come in worship. And we don't just do it on a Sunday. You know, when you, when you were going through a really tough patch, the best place that you can be is sat under the sound of worship. You know, somebody rang me up the other day and said, I've got demons attacking me. What do I do? I said, put some worship on and, and, and pray. Get into the presence of God. Sing songs of love to Jesus. Tell Jesus you love him. Put him in that rightful place. And out of that, everything, everything, everything else flows. Worship him. I'm always really suspicious of people that don't worship Jesus. You know, that they come to church, but they don't really get worship. It's like worship is, is, is the most important thing. He is, he is to be put in the right place. Jesus in John 4, 22 says, um, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come. We're in it now, guys. When true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. He is holy. No matter how well we pretend on a Sunday, the truth is that we worship a holy God that we don't even come close to. He's there, and I'm here. Peter had a revelation and fell. He couldn't be on the same level as Jesus. He he understood in that moment that he had to to, to bow. And there may be some stuff in your life, you know, that, that needs to bow. In the prayer meeting this morning, we were reminded of the story of um, the Ark of the Covenant, which signifies the presence of God, being taken into the um, temple of Dagon, this big statue, this ugly-looking idol thing. And the next morning, when they, they came back, the, the statue of Dagon was fell down prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. Because God is a holy God. And we have to give him everything that we, we have. The next W, so we've done worship. The next W is word. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter obeys Jesus at his word. In a way, right, it's a carpenter from Nazareth. He's asking um, um, a well-established group of fishermen who, who fished all night and caught nothing to go back out. I mean, and yet Peter obeys this word. 
And the result is a miracle. And it's not just a miracle, is it? It's like, it, it, it's, I mean, like just to catch a few fish would have been nice. But the, the, the boats are like heaving with fish. And it speaks to me that, you know, God, when you obey God at his word, when you trust him with your life and you answer the calling to live by his word, then the result is blessing. The result is blessing. When you live according to his word, the result is blessing. John 15, we were reading this in our um, life group the other day. I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and also, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and die in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God's word shapes us, it feeds us, it guides us, it keeps us on the right path. We neglect it at our own cost. How many, how many moves of God have started in, in, a, in, a great, in a great trajectory and gone off the rails because the the leaders have gone away from God's word. How many people have started off in a, you know, their walk with God in a great way, but they've not lived according to God's word. They've, they've, they've just neglected the, the reading of scripture. We, would, we will never do that in this church. Never. Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. How do we, how can we possibly know how to, how to walk through this life and go through the challenges that come against us except by the word of God? How do we, how do we know how to live and how to move and how to, how to you know, like, we've just been leaning about um, you know, stewarding our money. Wasn't that wonderful? Do you not think that video is wonderful? Like, how, do we, how do we manage our money, which is like really important? It's by living according to his word. Psalm 119 also says, how is it possible for a young person to keep their way pure? How is it possible to do that? And the, and the psalmist answers and says, by living according to your word. All scripture, in, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We have a call, a kingdom call, to live according to God's word. To be in it every day. You know, every day. You know, I mean, I, I, I need a few coffees before I start reading the Bible because... I get confused, but you know, once I've had a few coffees, I'm like right in there with the word. And, and because I know that it, it's like what I need to feed me. And Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, this is Luke 9, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. There's a laying down of your life that, you, that is, is the challenge that comes from reading the word of God. It, it senses you and keeps you from going away. And, 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 you know, in charismatic churches especially, you know, where, we, where we, we, we're involved in prophecy and words of knowledge, it keeps us from, from getting wacky. Have you ever seen wacky Christians? Plenty around. Like, some of them are like, I mean, I, I said to Debbie in private, so these lot are bat poop crazy. They're like, you know, they're like, you know, well away from like, the, you know, what's sound doctrine. And it's so important. How do we know, what, how do we know what's, what's sound and what's not sound? Well, we have to weigh it. 
when we weigh it against the word of God, what does, what does Jesus say? What does the scripture teach us? So important. And it's, it's a calling on your life. If you're here today and you're following Jesus, you, are, you have a calling on your life, right, to, to firstly worship God, but then to live in his word and, and walk that out. I know that, you've, right, I know that you've heard this a million times, some of you. I know that you've heard this again and again and again. But it's truth. It's truth. And we need to keep hearing the truth in order to remain in it. And the last W is, is works. Jesus says to them in Luke 5.10, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I love a fishy story. Can you bring up that slide, please, Tom? Yeah. So... The West, right, the West people, right, for exaggerating in the world, are, are firstly fishermen and secondly evangelists, right? And as I happen to be both, right, you just need to sort of like take most things I say with like a little bit of measure of, no, I'm joking. That's, I'm telling the truth. But I love that. Um, hold fish here, Danielson. Make two pounder look like 10 pounder. And I think all the great fishy stories that have ever been told since the time of Jesus, um, started with this story of the miraculous catch of these two boats full. And all fishermen will tell you that, you know, whatever fish they catch, it's always bigger than what it really is. It's just a thing. Mr. Miyagi. But I did, I, did have a, um, I did have a genuine kind of like fishy story that I wanted to tell you that happened to me when I'd, I'd been a Christian about um, two years and I'd gone on holiday with my family to Ulrome. Anybody been to Ulrome? I'm glad you know what, where Ulrome is. It's a fine coastal village. And uh, we were camping at Ulrome. And I'd, um, I'd gone fishing. And I'd, I was stood on the beach. And I'd, I'd, I'd cast out my, my bait right out into the sea. And I was stood there with this light thing. And, I was just, and I'd been there for a couple of hours. And I was getting a bit cheesed off. And, and so I just like flung out a prayer, as you do. Because I was learning, to, I was learning to pray, and I said, "God, please let me catch a fish, in Jesus' name, Amen." And um, I waited, and yeah, nothing happened. And then this guy came over to me, and um, we got chatting, and um, he started talking to me about Jesus and asking me about Jesus as if I knew, but I did know, of course. So I, I told him about Jesus, and uh, in my head I'm thinking, like God, you've like proper set me up here. It's like, I, I, I want, you, knew, you knew that I wanted a haddock, right? <laughs> or a play, so, so you knew, and you've given me this person, so that's what happened. So when he'd gone, I, I prayed again, Lord, um, please send me a fish. Nothing. Nada. This other guy came up, and the same thing happened. And then this time he's like, will you come back to my tent and tell my family all the things that you told me? <sighs> oh, God. All right, then. So I ended up going back to the tent and having a cup of tea with the family and sharing the gospel with them all. So that's my fishy story. <laughs> we are, of course, not saved by doing good. But we are saved in order to do good. We're not saved by doing good. All, all your acts of righteousness are like, are like filthy rags. I remember when I first uh, was told that, I was quite upset, actually. I thought, oh, I've been doing a lot of really good stuff. 
What, you, what do you mean? It's all like filthy rags. Doesn't it count? But it, compared to the glory of salvation, that can't be end. That's absolutely um, the right way to put it. We're not saved by doing good because we couldn't earn it. The gift is too great. Salvation is too great. We've, you know, it, it's too wonderful. But we are, we are saved in order to do good. I wonder if you've ever really known in your heart what you're called to, what God is calling you into, what God is beckoning you towards, what God has put in your heart to achieve that you've not yet achieved, a people that you've yet to go to, a, a, a person in your family that you've yet to evangelize, a, a person who's sick that you've yet to pray for. I wonder if you, I wonder if you know that because there is a calling on your life. You are called for a purpose. There is a purpose in all of this. And you may have, you may have, you may have done a lot of stuff already, but there's, there is a greater purpose. There's, you know, the best is yet to come. There's always more with God. You know, just because you've had a few successes here doesn't mean to say that there ain't, ain't more to come. God wants to move you from glory to glory. What sort of things does God want you to do? Well, he says in Matthew 10, 8, really simply, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. In this church, we believe in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We believe that we don't do stuff on our own. We, we move as the Holy Spirit empowers us. And yet when we invite people to come forward, it often feels like there's like this real like reluctance, like I don't need to come forward to receive anything. I'm quite, I'm quite happy, thank you. My mum says this a lot. I'm okay, thank you. Thank you all. I'm okay. You know? It's like, pfft. you got it wrong. You got it wrong. You know, in revival, you'd be diving down the front to jump into the thing that the Spirit was doing. It's like, you know, we, we all leak. We all need the Spirit of God. If you're going to do any of the great things that are in your heart, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you. You, you. you can't do anything without him. To do the works of the kingdom, you need the Holy Spirit. Next week when we go out onto the street and, and share the gospel, we need the Holy Spirit. If we don't go out with the Holy Spirit, then we might as well not bother. Right? And somebody said to me um, last week uh, when we were in Chesterley Street, um, don't you get scared when you go out on the street to tell people about Jesus? And I said, yes, I get very, very scared. But I've got a very, very big God. I do get scared. I do find it uncomfortable. I do sometimes wake up at 8.30 and think I'd rather stay in bed and watch the telly. Right? I'm the same as the rest of you. There's no difference. I, I feel the same things that you feel. But my God is a mighty God and, and he helps me. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, says Paul to Timothy. You know, it's like we're all called to, to share the good news. We're all called to somebody. We're all called to um, bring the kingdom. For we are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's prepared things for you to do 
And if you don't do them, I don't know if God sends substitutes. I don't know if he does. He might do, because he's God. He can do anything. But I don't know that he does. It's not, you know, I think if God's asking you to do something, you should do it. No matter how difficult it might be, no matter how, no matter how costly, because if you notice the disciples, they didn't say to Jesus, oh, well, let us just finish off the job we were doing with our nets and let's just, like, pack the boats away or find somebody else to run our businesses. It says that they left everything to follow him. They left everything to follow him. You know, in the, in the Methodist revival, you know, and in, in the other great, the second great awakening, there were thousands of people leaving these shores to go to India and, and to Africa and to other parts of Asia and other parts of the world. And, and a lot of them were not only not surviving longer than three months, and yet people were streaming out of these, these shores to take the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom is greater. The calling is greater. And you might think, well, that's, that's crazy. Why would, I, why would I do that? Because Jesus is everything. And if he's calling you to that, then, then that's what he's calling you to. How do we know if we've got a ministry call? Just quickly in finishing. Well, you need to test it. How, you know, some of you may have in your heart that, I just feel called to ministry. I just want to be, I just want to be in ministry. I don't want to be in the secular world anymore. I want to be in ministry. Well, Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's, what things do we need as a ministry called testing? Well, we need seven things. Firstly, we need gifting. You can't be in ministry unless you've got gifting. You need the gifting to do it. Um, number two, what, what needs do you see and what, what things are you moved by? What, what's on your heart that God is calling you to? What practical skills? Number three, what practical skills have you got to answer this call? What a recurring interest of our place, our people, is, is God laying on your heart? That you have a growing desire for ministry, that you know that's like, it's something that you're, you're talking about, you're praying about, you're thinking about all the time. You have the affirmation of your leaders around you in your local church. You know that the leaders are seeing that call and saying to you, you're a leader. You've got that on you. You're, you've got that gifting. And, you're, and they're basically affirming the things that God is already speaking to you, that you have prophetic words that confirm what God has already spoken. And above all else, you want to glorify God above all of the desires. That's what a ministry call looks like. And you know, I think it's true for um, a lot of people that are in ministry. But despite that, whether you're called to ministry or whether you're called to be part of the body... I believe this, and I just want to say this in closing, that we're all called to a person. It might be one person. We're called to a family, an area, a village, a town, a city or cities, a region, a country, or a continent. We're all called to somebody and something.